0: part 1 chapter 3 of 800 leagues on the amazon this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org 800 leagues on the amazon by jules verne part 1 the giant raft chapter 3 the Caral family. The village of Iquitos is situated on the left bank of the Amazon, near the 74th meridian, on that portion of the great river which still bears the name of the Maranon, and of which the bed separates Peru from the Republic of Ecuador. It is about 55 leagues to the west of the Brazilian frontier. Iquitos, Like every other collection of huts, hamlet, or village met with in the basin of the upper Amazon, was founded by the missionaries. Up to the seventeenth year of the century, the Iquito Indians, who then formed the entire population, were settled in the interior of the province at some distance from the river. But one day, the springs in their territory all dried up under the influence of a volcanic eruption, and they were obliged to come and take up their abode on the left of the Marano. The race soon altered through the alliances which were entered into with the riverine Indians, Chicunas or Omaguas, mixed descent with a few Spaniards, and today Iquitos has a population of two or three families of half-breeds. The village is most picturesquely grouped on a kind of esplanade, and runs along at about sixty feet from the river. It consists of some forty miserable huts, whose thatched roofs only just render them worthy of the name of cottages. A stairway made of crossed trunks of trees leads up to the village, which lies hidden from the traveller's eyes until the steps have been ascended. Once at the top he finds himself before an enclosure, admitting of slight defense, and consisting of many different shrubs and arborescent plants, attached to each other by festoons of lianas, which here and there have made their way above the summits of the graceful palms and banana trees at the time we speak of the indians of iquitos went about in almost a state of nudity the spaniards and half-breeds alone were clothed and much as they scorned their indigenous fellow-citizens wore only a simple shirt light cotton trousers and a straw hat all lived cheerlessly enough in the village mixing little together and if they did meet occasionally it was only at such times as the bell of the mission called them to the dilapidated cottage which served them for a church But if existence in the village of Iquitos, as in most of the hamlets of the upper Amazon, was almost in a rudimentary stage, it was only necessary to journey a league further down the river to find on the same bank a wealthy settlement with all the elements of comfortable life. This was the farm of Juan Garau, toward which our two young friends returned after their meeting with the captain of the woods. There, on a bend of the stream, at the junction of the river Nanay, which is here about five hundred feet across, there had been established for many years this farm, homestead, or to use the expression of the country, fazenda, then in the height of its prosperity. The Nanay, with its left bank bounded it to the north for about a mile, and for nearly the same distance to the east it ran along the bank of the larger river. To the west some small rivulets, tributaries of the Nanay and some lagoons of small extent, separated it from the savannah and the fields devoted to the pasturage of the cattle. It was here that João Garrao, in 1826, twenty-six years before the date when our story opens, was received by the proprietor of the fazenda. This Portuguese, whose name was Magalhães, followed the trade of timber-felling, and his settlement, then recently formed, extended for about half a mile along the bank of the river. There, hospitable as he was, like all the Portuguese of the old race, Magalhães lived with his daughter Yaquita, who after the death of her mother had taken charge of his household. Magalhães was an excellent worker, inured to fatigue, but lacking education. If he understood the management of the few slaves whom he owned, and the dozen Indians whom he hired, he showed himself much less apt in the various external requirements of his trade. In truth, the establishment at Iquitos was not prospering, and the affairs of the Portuguese were getting somewhat embarrassed. It was under these circumstances that João Garão, then twenty-two years old, found himself one day in the presence of Magalhães. He had arrived in the country at the limit both of his strength and his resources. Magalhães had found him half dead with hunger and fatigue in the neighboring forest. The Portuguese had an excellent heart. He did not ask the unknown where he came from, but what he wanted. The noble, high-spirited look which João Garao bore in spite of his exhaustion had touched him. He received him, restored him, and for several days to begin with, offered him a hospitality which lasted for his life. Under such conditions it was that João Garao was introduced to the farm at Iquitos. Brazilian by birth, João Garao was without family or fortune. Trouble, he said, had obliged him to quit his country and abandon all thoughts of return. He asked his host to excuse his entering on his past misfortunes—misfortunes as serious as they were unmerited. What he sought, and what he wished, was a new life, a life of labor. He had started on his travels with some slight thought of entering a fazenda in the interior. He was educated, intelligent, he had in all his bearing that inexpressible something which tells you that the man is genuine and of frank and upright character Magalais was quite taken with him and asked him to remain at the farm where he would in a measure supply that which was wanting in the worthy farmer joan Garau accepted the offer without hesitation his intention had been to join a seringao or caoutchouc concern in which in those days a good workman could earn from five to six piastres a day, and could hope to become a master if he had any luck. But Magalhães very truly observed that if the pay was good, work was only found in the seringales at harvest-time, that is to say, during only a few months of the year, and this would not constitute the permanent position that a young man ought to wish for. The Portuguese was right. João Garao saw it, and entered resolutely into the service of the fazenda. Deciding to devote to it all his powers Magalhães had no cause to regret his generous action his business recovered his wood trade which extended by means of the Amazon up to Pará was soon considerably extended under the impulse of João Garau. the fazenda began to grow in proportion and to spread out along the bank of the river up to its junction with the nanay a delightful residence was made of the house it was raised a story, surrounded by a veranda, and half hidden under beautiful trees, mimosas, fig sycamores, bauhinias, and paulinias, whose trunks were invisible beneath a network of scarlet flowered bromelias and passion flowers. At a distance, behind huge bushes and a dense mash of arborescent plants, were concealed the buildings in which the staff of the fazenda were accommodated, the servants' offices the cabins of the blacks and the huts of the Indians. From the bank of the river, bordered with reeds and aquatic plants, the tree-encircled house was alone visible. A vast meadow, laboriously cleared along the lagoons, offered excellent pasturage. Cattle abounded, a new source of profit in these fertile countries, where a herd doubles in four years, and where ten per cent interest is earned by nothing more than the skins and the hides of the animals killed for the consumption of those who raise them a few sitios or and coffee plantations were started in parts of the woods which were cleared fields of sugar-canes soon required the construction of a mill to crush the sacchariferous stalks destined to be used hereafter in the manufacture of molasses taffia and rum in short, ten years after the arrival of João garrao at the farm Eriquitos, the fazenda had become one of the richest establishments on the upper Amazon. Thanks to the good management exercised by the young clerk over the works at home and the business abroad, its prosperity daily increased. The Portuguese did not wait so long to acknowledge what he owed to João garrao In order to recompense him in proportion to his merits, he had from the first given him an interest in the profits of his business, and four years after his arrival he had made him a partner on the same footing as himself, and with equal shares. But there was more that he had in store for him. Yaquita, his daughter, had, in this silent young man, so gentle to others, so stern to himself, recognized the sterling qualities which her father had done. She was in love with him— but though on his side Juan had not remained insensible to the merits and the beauty of this excellent girl, he was too proud and reserved to dream of asking her to marry him. A serious incident hastened the solution. Magalyaes was one day superintending a clearance and was mortally wounded by the fall of a tree. Carried home helpless to the farm and feeling himself lost, he raised up yaquita who was weeping by his side, took her hand and put it into that of Juan making him swear to take her for his wife. "'You have my fortune,' he said, "'and I shall not die in peace unless by this union "'I know that the fortune of my daughter is assured.' "'I can continue her devoted servant, her brother, her protector, "'without being her husband,' Zhuangarao had at first replied. "'I owe you all, Magoyais, I will never forget it but the price you would pay for my endeavours is out of all proportion to what they are worth." The old man insisted. Death would not allow him to wait. He demanded the promise, and it was made to him. Yakita was then twenty-two years old. Juan was twenty-six. They loved each other, and they were married some hours before the death of Magalias, who had just strength left to bless their union. It was under these circumstances that in 1830 Juan Garrao became the new fazenda of Iquitos, to the immense satisfaction of all those who composed the staff of the farm. The prosperity of the settlement could not do otherwise than grow when these two minds were thus united. A year after her marriage Yaquita presented her husband with a son, and two years after a daughter. Benito and Mina. the grandchildren of the old Portuguese, became worthy of their grandfather, CHILDREN WORTHY OF JUAN YAKITA. The daughter grew to be one of the most charming of girls. She never left the fazenda. Brought up in pure and healthy surroundings, in the midst of the beauteous nature of the tropics, the education given to her by her mother and the instruction received by her from her father were ample. What more could she have learned in a convent at Manaus or Belém? Where would she have found better examples of the domestic virtues? Would her mind and feelings have been more delicately formed away from her home? If it was ordained that she was not to succeed her mother in the management of the fazenda, she was equal to any other position to which she might be called. With Benito it was another thing. His father very wisely wished him to receive as solid and complete an education as could then be obtained in the large towns of Brazil. There was nothing which the rich fazenda refused his son. Benito was possessed of a cheerful disposition, an active mind, a lively intelligence, and qualities of heart equal to those of his head. At the age of twelve he was sent into Pará, to Balin, and there, under the direction of excellent professors, he acquired the elements of an education which could not but eventually make him a distinguished man. Nothing in literature, in the sciences, in the arts was a stranger to him. He studied as if the fortune of his father would not allow him to remain idle. He was not among such as imagine that riches exempt men from work. He was one of those noble characters, resolute and just, who believed that nothing should diminish our natural obligation in this respect if we wish to be worthy of the name of men. During the first years of his residence at belém Benito had made the acquaintance of Manuel Valdez. This young man, the son of a merchant in Pará, was pursuing his studies in the same institution as Benito. The conformity of their characters and their tastes proved no barrier to their uniting in the closest of friendships, and they became inseparable companions. Manuel, born in 1832, was one year older than Benito. He had only a mother, and she lived on the modest fortune which her husband had left her. When Manuel's preliminary studies were finished, he had taken up the subject of medicine. He had a passionate taste for that noble profession, and his intention was to enter the army, toward which he felt himself attracted. At the time that we saw him with his friend Benito, Manuel Valdez had already obtained his first step, and he had come away on leave for some months to the fazenda, where he was accustomed to pass his holidays. Well built and of distinguished bearing, with a certain native pride which became him well, the young man was treated by Juan and Yaquita as another son. But, if this quality of son made him the brother of Benito, the title was scarcely appreciated by him when Mia was concerned, for he soon became attached to the young girl by a bond more intimate than could exist between brother and sister in the year of eighteen fifty two of which four months had already passed before the commencement of this history. Juan Garo attained the age of forty-eight years in that sultry climate which wears men away so quickly. He had known how, by sobriety, self-denial, suitable living and constant work, to remain untouched where others had prematurely succumbed. His hair, which he wore short, and his beard, which was full, had already grown grey and gave him the look of a Puritan. The proverbial honesty of the Brazilian merchants and fazenders showed itself in his features, of which straightforwardness was the leading characteristic. His calm temperament seemed to indicate an interior fire kept well under control. The fearlessness of his look denoted a deep-rooted strength, to which, when danger threatened, he could never appeal in vain. But notwithstanding, one could not help remarking about this quiet man of vigorous health, with whom all things had succeeded in life, a depth of sadness which even the tenderness of Yakita had not been able to subdue respected by all, placed in all the conditions that would seem necessary to happiness. Why was not this just man more cheerful and less reserved? Why did he seem to be happy for others, and not for himself? Was this disposition attributable to some secret grief? Herein was a constant source of anxiety to his wife. Yakita was now forty-four. In that tropical country where women are already old at thirty, she had learned the secret of resisting the climate's destructive influences, and her features, a little sharpened but still beautiful, retained the haughty outline of the Portuguese type, in which nobility of face unites so naturally with dignity of mind. Benito and Mia responded with an affection unbounded and unceasing for the love which their parents bore them. Benito is now aged twenty-one, and quick, brave, and sympathetic, contrasted outwardly with his friend Manuel, who was more serious and reflective. It was a great treat for Benito, after quite a year passed at Belin, so far from the fazenda, to return with his young friend to his home to see, once more, his father, his mother, his sister, and to find himself, enthusiastic hunter as he was, in the midst of these superb forests of the upper Amazon, some of whose secrets remained after so many centuries still unsolved by man. Minya was twenty years old, a lovely girl, brunette, and with large blue eyes, eyes which seemed to open into her very soul, of middle height, good figure, and winning grace, in every way the very image of Yakita. A little more serious than her brother, affable, good-natured, and charitable, she was beloved by all. On this subject you could fearlessly interrogate the humblest servants of the fazenda, It was unnecessary to ask her brother's friend Manuel Valdez what he thought of her. He was too much interested in the question to have replied without a certain amount of partiality. This sketch of the Garau family would not be complete, and would lack some of its features, were we not to mention the numerous staff of the fazenda. In the first place, then, it behooves us to name an old negress, of some sixty years, called Cybele free through the will of her master, a slave through her affection for him and his, and who had been the nurse of Yaquita, She was one of the family. She thee and thou'd both mother and daughter. The whole of this good creature's life was passed in these fields, in the middle of these forests, on that bank of the river which bounded the horizon of the farm. Coming as a child to Iquitos in the slave trading times, she had never quitted the village, she was married there, and early a widow, had lost her only son, and remained in the service of Magalias. Of the Amazon she knew no more than what flowed before her eyes. With her, and more specially attached to the service of Mia was a pretty, laughing mulatto, of the same age as her mistress, to whom she was completely devoted. She was called Lina, one of those gentle creatures a little spoiled, perhaps, to whom a good deal of familiarity is allowed, but who, in return, adore their mistresses. Quick, restless, coaxing, and lazy, she could do what she pleased in the house. As for servants, they were of two kinds. Indians, of whom there were about a hundred, employed always for the works of the fazenda, and blacks to about double the number who were not yet free, but whose children were not born slaves. Had herein preceded the Brazilian government. In this country, moreover, the negroes coming from Benguela, the Congo, or the Gold Coast were always treated with kindness, and it was not at the fazenda of Iquitos that one would look for those sad examples of cruelty which were so frequent on foreign plantations. End of chapter three. The Garau family. Recording by Scott Robbins.